Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Weaver. And I'm PFC Anna Grace Cato. And today we have a very special guest. Um, I'll let him introduce himself, but before we get started, I do want to just let everybody know that if you're listening or watching, you may hear some background noise because the drill hall floor, I don't know what they're doing out there, but it's a little loud, so you may hear some stuff, but we just want to let you know beforehand. So let's just get started. Um, if you just want to go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Um, my name is Lieutenant Christopher Wallace. I'm with McCready Fire and Rescue. Awesome. Okay. So let's kind of start with your background. Before we started, we were kind of getting some information about you. So you were in the Army, the active Army, for about 10 years. Could you just give us a little synopsis of what made you want to join and, um, like, your your career in that 10-year time frame? I had, since about middle school, wanted to be actually in the Marines. And um, approaching my senior year, talked with, the, talked with a bunch of recruiters, found out about, you know, the different things the Army could guarantee versus the Marines who just kind of had the knees in the Marine Corps. And so I, I joined the Army, went to basic training at Fort Jackson, and I graduated two days after 9-11, and it kind, of, it kind of sent everything in my military career kind of spiraling. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in the military. Mm-hmm. That kind of sent me on, on a path. I ended up at Fort Richardson, Alaska for about two years, and then um, when they switched over to the brigade combat teams, the striker units were going up there. Mm-hmm. I got involuntarily curtailed and moved to Fort Campbell. I spent the rest of my time at, at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Um, during that time, deployed to Iraq. Um, that was kind of the, the main thing I I remember from my time. I got, got injured back in 2004 uh, outside of Mosul. Uh, came back with medical condition and just – the rest of my career was kind of fighting between that and going back on deployment. Spent a lot of time between Mosul and uh, QS, I guess it's QRN, Iraq. I'm probably not saying that right, <laughs> but uh, did a lot of time there. I was I actually officially medically retired January 10th or January 28th of 2010, and that that's Pretty much my military career. <laughs> <laughs> did um, finishing basic right after 9-11, did that impact your career at all and give you a, a different purpose of wanting to be a part of the military? Like, I know you said that you wanted to do it since you were younger, but did that give you some kind of pride or strive to, like, want to do more? It. I, I had always wanted to join the military, to provide service to my country and my community. That was, that was it. I never, I never wanted to join the military like some people do for, you know, college money or just because they're trying to figure out life for about four years, get a little bit of discipline. So when they do go to college, I knew I wanted to make a career out of it from then. I just didn't know what routes I could take in the military. Um, Looking at the recruiting videos back then, be all you can be. It, looked everything was infantry so mm-hmm. you didn't really know about the different jobs in in the army and um the longer i was in the more i the more experience i gained the more i learned about what you can do and you know just 
doing the the typical you know, file your forty one eighty seven and go to different schools and everything and just learning along the way. It was it was never about doing anything specifically. It was about enjoying the process and then learn learning as much as I could as I went through my career. So after you left the military did you have a plan right away of what you wanted to do? Because it sounded like you had like a second to think about it since you were fighting back and forth. Yeah, I had, I had no plan. Um, like, like I'm coming to learn with with most veterans when when they get out, we've been so ingrained in the military culture. Every every step of your day being planned out, you know what you're going to do. You know what what your lane is, you stick to it. And, um, I, you know, not to slander any program, they're doing the best they can, but the ACAP program at the time, getting out of the military, they taught you how to clear your final post, but I don't really think whether it's the program or the chain of command, not wanting to let people go to different appointments and things. I don't think, um, they do a great job transitioning you back into a civilian. They know how to turn you into a soldier. They don't know how to turn you back into a civilian before sending you back. Um, when I got out the AW2 Army Wounded Warrior Project, they helped me with getting appointments and everything. They were they were real real good about getting me set up with that. I still had no direction, and. Um, I figured I needed to use my GI Bill. I had already paid into it, you know, doing the kicker into it, and saw an opportunity to go to go to college with my with my father, and so we ended up there by just sheer luck. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what led you to becoming a firefighter, and then also how did you end up at McCrady of all places to be a firefighter? Well, like we were talking about before we got started with this. Um, going to college with my dad. Uh, he was a real big influence in my life. And the week of final exams, he ended up in the hospital in Myrtle Beach, and he ended up passing away. And when we got home, we were going through everything, planning the funeral, and the chief of the local volunteer fire department came by explaining the the stuff that dad had paid into being a volunteer firefighter and what what they were doing with the memorial ceremony there at the firefighter convention. And then going to that, I, I got to see that it was, it wasn't the same, but it was similar to mm-hmm. the camaraderie I felt in the military. And I figured that was a way for me to honor my father and have the camaraderie again that I was missing from the military. And so I started volunteering going through classes, getting my certifications to become a firefighter. And a friend of mine that worked up here at McCrady at the time, uh, he called and asked if I knew anybody that was looking for a, for a job in the fire service. And at the time, I was working as an engineer for Barmel Fire Department and um, found out it was going to be a pay raise to come up here. So I was like, sure, I'll apply. I came up here and met with chief james and um i saw i saw that i could progress my career up here for more than just being part of a more or less volunteer station okay so what's the dynamic like a civilian fire department versus being 
at McCready? Because, I mean, you guys are civilians, but you're on a military installation. So how is that different than just a typical firefighter? The difference is, um, of course, with all Army regulations, DOD regulations, things like that, the fire prevention, safety, things like that are are taken up a notch from what it is in the civilian sector. Um, working for a municipal department like at the city of Barmel, you have more more structure fires, more automobile accidents, uh, definitely run medical calls with EMS. Mm. Well, transitioning over to McCready is more, we'll get medical calls to assist EMS, but mainly it's helping um, ensure maintenance on the fire alarm systems and stuff because the fire prevention is is really really pretty good mm-hmm. on the military side of it so it is just it's a different dynamic because the the people we provide service for the the soldiers there at McCready are better trained than your average public so <laughs> when we get a medical call they've they've already started the process of treating the casualty mm-hmm. we're there just kind of in case they need support we we can we can operate up to a first responder level, but most of the time some of these units out here training have combat lifesavers or combat mm-hmm. medics. They've already got IVs started and everything. So, <laughs> so you're like, why am I even here? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> do you guys ever get any serious calls working out at McCready? We do We do run occasionally mutual aid calls with, with Columbia, and um, – We've, we've run a few structure fires off, uh, in my time being at McCready, run a few structure fires off, off base with Columbia that had the potential to be real serious. We've, uh, in my time here, we've actually had a, a car fire at the defect there at oh, wow. McCready um, that we responded to. And um, like, I, like I tell my guys on shift, there's, there's always the – the potential with everything that we have at McCready, the fuel points, di- mm-hmm. different things like that, and the the training evolutions that happened back at the FOBs and, you know, having the mount site down there, there's always a chance of something medically going completely wrong that most most medics on the civilian side aren't going to see those type injuries. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's cool, though, to kind of hear this, like, uh, the dynamic because there is the fire – unit out there and then there's you guys which is separate um and so do you guys ever collaborate or work with the fire unit that's out there or do you guys kind of they have their own mission and you guys have your own mission from since my time of being there they've kind of had their own mission Mm -hmm. we've had our own mission um when i first got hired on here we had some guys that were employed with McCready Fire, but we're also in the National Guard Fire Unit. <laughs> oh, wow. And so they would talk a little bit about the difference in the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the ability to work together, but we're there for, you know, 24-hour, mm-hmm. 48-hour shifts, whereas National Guard may or may not be there depending on what their mission is. Um we do share a lot with training props and being able to use each other's facilities and stuff. So we we do some training together, but not as much as we probably could. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. I know the firefighters deployed a while ago, but um, 
because the pad, I'm a part of the public affairs attachment as well on the M-Day side, and our building was right next to the fire unit before we moved to the armory, and um, I never knew what they really did. Like, we would cover some of their training, but, um, like, on a typical drill weekend, I don't really know what they do, so maybe we'll have to have them come out and talk, but I think it's I think it's cool for people to understand that there is a difference because I didn't know until I was a part of the public affairs attachment. Like there is the firefighters in the national guard, but then there's also civilians who are working there 24 seven, just like the security guards, they're civilians. Like we don't have MPs standing out there checking IDs. Like it's civilian security guards. So um, it's cool to like hear the dynamic and the differences and stuff like that. Well, as, as having prior service Mm -hmm. uh, experience, it, in my mind, I can't I can't speak for this being absolute truth, but it makes more sense to have civilians contracted out rather than having MPs at the gates mm-hmm. or the civilian fire unit uh, standing watch over over the base. That way, it frees you guys up for actually what y'all's job is, and that's defense of the state and the country. Mm-hmm. And so, it. It takes some of that stress off. When I when I first came in, I remember they would uh, task out different units to actually pull gate guard and check IDs. So you may have somebody from the Signal Corps out there. You may have some cooks out there. You mm-hmm. may have infantry out there checking IDs. And then they don't really train you what was expected of mm-hmm. you as a gate guard. So these guys actually have a specific job to do. And, like, from, from my understanding, the – the fire unit there at the National Guard is taking on more of like kind of like a hazmat decontamination type mission. Mm-hmm. And that's that's completely different to, yeah. to what we do <laughs> with structural firefighting. Yeah. All right. Well, I kind of want to get into the biggest part of why you were coming here. So um, we were talking a little bit before about fitness and health and all that. And um, you are a strongman competitor so could you explain to those listening and watching, like, because like we were saying before, a lot of people think of just bodybuilding or powerlifting, but a lot of people don't understand strongman and what that entails. So could you kind of talk about like how you got into that and what it's all about and that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, my my strongman journey actually started kind of back in the late 80s, early 90s when I was still just a kid watching world's strongest man mm-hmm. around Christmas time on TV. I thought that was the coolest thing ever to see these guys doing incredible feats of strength, just lifting 300 pound Atlas stones that mm-hmm. just look like boulders running with, uh, you know, pretty much suitcases of bricks on their back. Uh, just any, anything you could think of is what strong man is expected to do. You're, uh, just odd objects. It, you may be picking up a safe. You may be picking up like a boat anchor or something like that. It's, it's whatever looks good for the public. <laughs> and uh, like you said, most people think about either powerlifting, which is just the three lifts, squat, bench, and deadlift, and moving as much weight as possible in those three events. And then you've got bodybuilding, which is developing the muscles and making yourself look as good as possible mm-hmm. on stage to get as big as possible, depending on what class you're competing in. And another thing that's come come up here recently is like CrossFit, where it's more endurance, but they've added 
weights and calisthenic challenges in it and stuff. And that's kind of the way I describe strongman is more like a CrossFit style event Mm -hmm. with a lot heavier weights. Yeah, no, it's crazy because because watching it on TV and stuff, like, it's no joke. And it's technique, too. Like, you have to be able to pick up a lot of weight or move a lot of weight, but you also have to find out what's the best way for you to do it because your height goes into play, your weight goes into play. Like, there's some guys on there that don't look like they're really big, but they can pick up 400 pounds and walk however far with it. So, I mean... It, it's a different beast in itself and the, the crazy stuff they come up with, like the log lifts and like you said, the Atlas stones and like pulling trucks and all that. It's like, where do they come up with this stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, it's just about seeing what the human body's capable of and more to that, what the human mind's capable mm-hmm. of the body the body's capable of so much more than what we realize our mind limits, limits that belief. Um, as everybody that's gone through the military knows before you become a soldier, before you go through basic, you have everything built up in your mind to what basic is going to be mm-hmm. like. And then by the time you get about halfway through basic, you realize it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be because your mind has developed a different understanding mm-hmm. of what you can do and that's that's the same thing with strongman fighting to be better everybody keeps wanting to push the boundaries of what we're capable of and it's gotten to the point that at the shows I'm competing at now as an amateur the weights that we're using would be would have been world records back in the 80s when I first mm-hmm. started it's 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 ridiculous and to watch to watch the pros like like you said it's a lot of technique. You've got to have the strength behind it. It's, it's constantly learning, and as soon as you learn one event, they're going to change it just enough to make it that much more difficult. Of the uh, competitions that you have competed in, you whenever we were talking earlier, you were speaking about one in Ohio. Is that right? Yes, that's that's one coming up. Um, I'm going to be competing at the Arnold Sports Festival for World's Strongest Firefighter, and um, – we got the event list for that, and that's that's going to be a really, really interesting couple <laughs> couple of days. <laughs> like, what's your training program like, and how does being a firefighter does that help? Do you feel that that helps you in any type of way with competing in strongman? Competing in strongman actually both helps and hinders me as a firefighter. There's um there's pros and cons to it. Um, because I compete as a super heavyweight, which is above 300 pounds, there's there's a lot of stuff that, that I can do strength-wise that most guys I work with think is, think is crazy. Like mm-hmm. uh, when we do buddy drags or something like that to get a fallen firefighter out of a building, that doesn't seem as taxing on me as it does to some of the guys, you know, dragging a 200 pound guy with all his gear out of a building at the same time, my endurance isn't the same Mm -hmm. as some, some of the smaller guys that go out and do endless miles of cardio and things like that, just because training is different. Um, So yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to it. It helps with the, the mental side of it. You know, realizing you're you're tougher than you think, you're you're stronger than you think. You can push past what you think, and that that helps a lot with accomplishment of of the mission as a firefighter. 
Um, I've heard a lot of people say it in the strongman community, you know, strength is never a weakness. So that that's that's something that I take over from from training for a strongman and then putting it into practice in, in the fire service when we do different training evolutions there. You know, I I plan I try and plan out our training on a weekly basis just like I do any other training session I do, there's a specific goal to accomplish and you, you give everything during that training session. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, when you go to work and y'all are like sitting around, be like, Oh, let's go push the fire truck down the road. Or do you like pull the, the fire hose? Like, do you use any of the equipment at work to like practice strongman? I do, but it's, it's more of just playing around with the guys. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I'll encourage people to give strongman training a try because, like like you know, looking at it on TV, you see all, all of us super heavyweights, and mm-hmm. that's what everybody thinks about, but it is broken down into weight classes. It's broken down into male and female. Strong women are becoming the, the number one growing part of the sport right now. There's actually teen divisions. Um, mm-hmm. So strongman is for, is for everyone, and it's it's a great community, is very supportive. So I do encourage people to get involved with it, just just to push and see what you can do. Um, but yeah, we have we have fun with it at at work. Like uh, we got a fire hydrant prop, and I'll I'll pick that up, or <laughs> like just the uh, the rolls of five inch hose. Mm-hmm. We, We'll see who can who can lift it up and just put it in the in the bed of the truck and stuff and just just have <laughs> have fun with that. Yeah. Um. So, is there any advice that you would give anybody, whether military, civilian, or um, like about fitness or getting into strongman or like I, you you said multiple t- multiple times like your body can do so much more than you think you're capable of and it's a mindset thing. Like, is there any advice you would give to people about getting past that or if they're looking to get in, involved in something and they're not really sure which way to go type thing as far as fitness. Just start. There's there's no right way. There's no, well, I've got to be a certain level of fitness to to go to a gym. I don't have to look a certain way to go to a gym. I don't, I don't have to be anything other than who I am to make myself better. You continually improve. If you if you push yourself 1% past your comfort zone each day, you've grown over 360% by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So it just start where you are now. And I think another thing, the biggest thing I've seen in the fitness world, whether it's strongman, bodybuilding, powerlifting, casual, just I want to get in better shape, everybody seems to – compare themselves to other people but you're comparing your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20 Mm -hmm. you you can't you can't do that they've been here longer than you you can learn from them but don't compare yourself to them wow that was powerful I love that (laughs) we need to make that a quote somewhere (laughs) yeah I mean you're definitely right like it's hard in the world we live in to not compare yourself to other people whether it's fitness or work or school or just in anything really. So, I mean, that's really powerful that you say that because hopefully that'll 
get into the minds of others and, and realize like you can do anything like, but yeah. So I think we're going to have to have you come back after March. Cause I'm kind of curious as to how that's going to go. So we'll have to call you back in here and talk about how that went and kind of give the audience some insight on that. Well, we really appreciate you coming in. And again, hopefully we'll have you come after March so that we can talk about uh, the competition and how it went and how you placed and all that fun stuff. And um, if you guys like this video, make sure you give it a big thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button and we will catch you guys in the next episode.